Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Of course, uh, check your email for our regular weekly announcements and updates on stuff. And when, when schedules change, you'll get emails and or texts, depending upon what you've signed up for in the past. We're going to continue to just look into the Old Testament and see the glory of God revealed and, and check out how he has been planning for redemption since the fall of mankind all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. And we see he's expressed that through uh, walking with man, serving them uh, through his love and his grace and his provision and providing for us rescue from sin and death uh, through an ark, through kings and prophets. And yet all of these Old Testament means serve only to point us to the ultimate means of God's glory and redemption, Jesus Christ. So a couple quick things to review. We're talking about Israel as a nation and how God has established them and he gave them kings. And we, we looked a few weeks ago at King Saul and uh, saw him for what he was. He, he actually had a, a decent sized kingdom, though that which is green here on the screen, the map of Israel, that was Saul's kingdom. And, and God blessed him, even though Saul was not a very good king. He was tall, he was strong, he was unique. But he was foolish and he didn't keep the Lord's commands. And so God told Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that he was going to pick a different king, establish a different line of rulers. In fact, he wanted a man after his own heart is how God describes the next king of Israel. And Don did a great job last week introducing us to King David, that man after God's own heart. And we, we got to see uh, last week specifically the childhood of David and, and those early years where he honored God, where he sought after God. He was passionate for the things of God. And that's really what Scripture means when we're talking about a man after God's own heart is a righteous passion for the things of God. And that's what David had. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect. He, of course, failed. He made some mistakes. But he always came back to wanting the things of God to be exalted, wanting God himself to to be lifted up. And so we see in David this passion for God. And yet David makes some bad choices, even though God blesses him and we see the green increases in size. And and so there was blessings of land and blessings of power and influence. And yet David still fails to follow God perfectly and struggles. And so what we see though, is that God takes David, this man after his own heart, and he makes a promise to him. And this is what God says to David in in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, verses 11 through 13. The Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. So God promises David that there will be an heir to the throne who will come from his own flesh, who will build the temple that David wanted so badly to build for God, but had been disallowed because of his own bad choices, his murder, his uh, adultery. And so we see that, that God says, David, you've been a good king. You're a man after my own heart. And even though I, I, I'm not going to let you build the temple, there's, you're going to have a son and he's going to be king next. And he's going to build the temple. 
And then God goes on to say this to David. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And now all of a sudden, we get it as we look throughout history and we kind of go, well, wait a minute. Solomon's kingdom. How many of you are familiar with where Solomon's kingdom is today? Anybody? You know where he lives, where his kingdom is, where his throne is? Right. It didn't last forever, did it? And so when God promises that there will be a king on a throne and it will last forever, he must not be talking about Solomon all of a sudden. He has added to this promise. God has promised David a king who will come from him, who will build a temple, and now he's offering up a second promise that there will be a king who will have a throne that will come from him that will be forever and ever, and God will call him son, and the son will call him father. Does this sound like anybody we know? Does this promise seem to set the stage for anyone that we're familiar with? And it does. It's Jesus, isn't it? We see this, that God makes a promise to David, that there will come from him a future king who will rule forever. And then it says, when he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. Now, we don't see any of David's immediate lineage being on the throne today. But what we see is hundreds of years later, God brings another man who came from the house of David and is king over all in an, on an eternal throne. And that is Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. So I've kind of spoiled the whole sermon for you because it's supposed to end with Jesus. But you get so excited when you see these prophecies. God did not make mistakes. God did not say, oh, Dang it, I picked David, but he wasn't the right guy either. But it was always God's plan to use men like Saul and David, and ultimately who we're going to see today, Solomon, not to fulfill his promises of redemption, but to point the way to the one who would. And that was Jesus who was to come in the coming years. What we see as we look through the the history of Israel, that this, what we call the Davidic covenant, it's restated in later passages like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, years later, after there is no real kingdom existing at all, God still promises that there will be a king, he will come from the line of David, and his throne will be forever. And so this becomes, as we see David, as as we see the promises God makes to David, this becomes the central view of, of God's redemptive history. There was coming a king who will come from David and he will reign over all of the world. And so really what God promises David is a perfect forever king for all of Israel. That's what God promises David when he talks to him, makes this covenant with him. I'm going to bless you with a son who's going to build a temple, but then I'm going to bless the whole world with someone who will come from your lineage and he will be king over all forevermore. And so what we got to get to, though, is that first part of the promise. So let's look at Solomon together. Solomon, we're really introduced to him a little, little late in the book of 2 Samuel. 
And then by the time we get into 1 Kings, it becomes clear that Solomon is the son that was to come from the line of David who was going to build the temple. He was God's chosen successor. And in fact, over his lifetime, Solomon extends the influence of the kingdom of Israel, or God through Solomon's hand extends the influence of the kingdom of Israel to all the green areas. So all the way down from Egypt up to the the north above Syria and stuff. And, And the purple regions were actually under his control as well. So you can see this big difference from this tiny little area just around the Dead Sea to under David, the kingdom of Israel grows a little bit bigger. And then under Solomon, it becomes huge. And that whole area uh, up and down the seaboard there becomes Israel. And, and God had promised that Solomon would be the heir earlier. In First Chronicles chapter 22, it tells us this, as God speaks to David, he says this, but a son will be born to you. He will be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies, which is why the kingdom got so big. The enemies were defeated. There was rest for his name will be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father. I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So we see the covenant with David, the promise of David that his lineage would rule over Israel forever reiterated But we're also going to see that eventually Solomon dies, so it has to be someone else. But Solomon is the king, excuse me, the king to come, the king who will build the temple. And by the time we get to 1 Kings, there's actually a little bit of a um, conflict in David's household. The oldest of his remaining sons, he wants to be king, Abiathar, and, and, um, excuse me, yeah. Mm, Now I gotta, sorry. I got to look at my own. Adonijah, sorry. Abiathar was a different guy. Uh, Adonijah wants to be king. And um, no, Adonijah, yeah, sorry. Sometimes you study and you get it all together and then you forget to put it on a slide. So he wants to be king. There's a little bit of dispute. And so what goes on is it ends up that David makes it clear that Solomon is to be king. So he gathers Solomon and others together and he says this, uh, call in Bathsheba for me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king swore an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every difficulty, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, your son Solomon is to become king after me. And he is the one who is to sit on my throne in my place. That is exactly what I will do this very day. So that very day, Solomon is anointed king, given the authority. David dies shortly thereafter. And so what we see is God's plans, God's promises come to pass. And then what happens is Solomon, in becoming king, he's kind of young. Kingdom is growing. He's had some conflict already. And so he's struggling a little bit to lead. And so in this moment, Solomon meets God and asks God for something. And so 1 Kings chapter 3, if you've got your Bible, I encourage you to open it up. 1 Kings chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Uh, It tells us that Solomon, he makes an alliance with Pharaoh, marries Pharaoh's daughter. um, And then he goes ultimately to go and sacrifice at at Gibeon. And then verse 5 tells us that at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask, what should I give you? So here's Solomon, king after David, who is meeting God's 
or worshiping God and he's come and God comes to speak to him and God just gives him this open-ended, you got one wish. I mean, I mean, that's kind of what it was. Now, if God came to you and asked that, what would you ask for? I'll give you one thing. What would you like? Uh, okay, maybe, you know, you could turn to your neighbor, I guess, real quick. Because if we all just yelled out what we wanted, that would be kind of chaotic. But, but what, imagine, what would you ask for? Well, it turns out that Solomon does what is unexpected. He begins to talk to God. He says, you've shown so much love and faithfulness to my, my father, your servant David, because he was faithful. God, you have made me king in his place. Verse 7. Verse 8, your servant uh, is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So in verse 9, here is Solomon's request. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to, to, to discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? Can you believe that? God says to Solomon... Whatever you want, I'll give it to you, king. And Solomon says, help me to be wise so I can rule your people well. What a ninny. He should have asked for something like really meaningful, right? Really great. God, I want riches beyond compare. God, I want power. You know, um, if you're kind of hearkening to Aladdin, right? <laughs> Infinite power, itty bitty living space. God, I want it all. God put no limits on this request. God put no limits on this wish, if you will. And Solomon asks God for wisdom to rule rightly. What a cool guy. Can, can, I mean, it's no wonder that God told David, Solomon's the one. Because Solomon clearly had a heart that was in the right place, especially here in his younger years. He wanted to honor God. He wanted to serve God well. And he asks God for wisdom. Now God grants him that wisdom and, and says this as well in verses 11 and 12. Because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, all things that we would have wished for, right? Uh, because you didn't ask for any of these things, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. So God says, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to grant your wish. You are going to be the wisest man ever. And then in the next two verses. In addition, but that's not all. I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commands, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. So God says to Solomon, because you've honored me, because you've asked for wisdom and not anything else that you could have had, I will give you both the wisdom you've asked for and the wealth and the honor and the power that you did not ask for. I will give you the long life that you did not ask for if you remain faithful. And so we see that this kind of sets the stage for Solomon to be an amazing both ruler and a, a man of great renown. Solomon ends up being one of the, the wealthiest kings imaginable. He ends up being renowned as the wisest man 
forever, and His reign is blessed beyond measure. After proving His wisdom in the second half of chapter 3, which, if you're familiar with the story, is two, two, um, two prostitutes. They both have children. Uh, one of them they, falls asleep and kills her son and then slips over and swaps the baby uh, with her, her uh, roommate. And so there's two women, one dead baby, one live baby. Both of them are claiming the live baby as their own. If you remember the story, of course, they come before Solomon for judgment. And he says, well, I can't figure out whose is whose. So cut the baby in half and give one half to each woman, each woman. Right. And um, one woman goes, yeah, cut him in half. If I, you know, I only deserve half. She can get half coal. And the other one says, no, don't cut the baby in half. Give the baby to her. Let the baby live. And Solomon says, ah, I can tell which one's the real mother. It's the one who wants the baby to live. So we see Solomon's wisdom. And then we see that everyone around him is blessed because of this great wisdom. 1 Kings 4.25 says this, Throughout Solomon's reign, Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan to Beersheba, from the north to the south, each person and under his own vine and his own fig tree. Everyone was blessed. There was a pot in every chicken and a donkey in every stall. Right? That, a pot in every chicken? Sorry, sometimes, sometimes the automatic replay is a little behind what I actually say, right? A chicken in every pot and a donkey in every stall. <laughs> yep. All right, so, but, but clearly everyone, not just Solomon, but because of God, Solomon's great wisdom and his willingness to be faithful to God and to serve God, everyone in Israel is blessed with all that they need and not just all that they need, But what does it say? It says that they lived in safety under their own vine and their own fig tree. In other words, it was a time of rest and glorious provision for God's people. All because of Solomon's faithfulness. All because of Solomon's wisdom. Scripture goes on to tell us about Solomon a little bit more. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 29. God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding, as vast as the sand on the seashore. How awesome is that? It, Solomon was able to wrap his mind around such amazing and big things, which is actually going to be surprising as we get a little bit further into his life. But he has great wisdom. It says, uh, verse 30, Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all of the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Verse 32, it says this, Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs. And his songs numbered 1,005. Verse 33, he spoke about trees from the cedar in Lebanon to to the hyssop growing out of the wall. He also spoke about animals, birds, reptiles, fish. Scripture gives us this picture of Solomon is this this man who has a knowledge of everything in this world. He's, He's able to wrap his head around so many things that so many of us wonder about. Was makes it no wonder that by the time we get to verse 34, it says, emissaries of all peoples sent by every king on earth who had heard of his wisdom came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. It tells us that Solomon was so wise that people from all over the known world were coming just to sit and listen to him speak. Have you ever been in the presence of somebody like that where you, can, you just can eat up every word they have to say? I had a professor in, in, uh, 
my undergrad work. He, he was my New Testament professor. He was actually uh, Pauline Epistles. Isn't that sound exciting, right? But he was this amazing professor. He had not only been a professor for years upon years, but he'd also been a, a pastor. And, and just about four years previous, his, do, his wife had died of cancer. And so what's interesting is, is he spoke with so much love for the Word of God. And he taught in such a way that, that everything he said applied directly to your heart. And he brought God's Word alive in a way that was just amazing. You were like, no way, that is so cool! And he wasn't just pontificating because I'm so smart and you're not, which is how some professors are. But it was... All of this has changed my life and it can change yours too. If you've ever sat at the feet of somebody like that, you can understand why people came to Solomon. They wanted to hear the reasons why things mattered. They wanted to understand the world. And Solomon, because of God's gift upon his life, was able to wrap his head around all of this amazing stuff. And he also had the privilege of building God's temple In uh, chapters 5 through 8, it tells us he gathered all the things necessary and and finally completed his father's vision to build a temple for God. So God finally got to move out of the tabernacle tent and into a temple that was worthy of who he is. And and, and we see that, that he also has the privilege of building his own great palace in Jerusalem. And after all of this accomplishment, God once again comes to Solomon and he warns him. He visits Solomon a second time. So chapter 9, we're kind of, remember, we're, we're covering the stories kind of writ large and, and seeing what, what God would have us to learn from the big picture. Chapter 9, starting in verse 1 of First Kings, it says this, When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all that Solomon desired to do, so it wasn't just he checked off a little bit of the list. He got everything done because they were so blessed. The Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And so God appears to Solomon and then begins to speak. Verse 3, the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and petition you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple you have built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, with a heart of integrity and in what is right, doing everything I have commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. If you or your sons turn away from following me and do not keep my commands, my statutes that I have set before you, and if you do If you go and serve other gods and bow in worship to them, I will cut off Israel from the land I gave them, and I will reject the temple I have sanctified for my name. Israel will will become an object of scorn and ridicule among all the peoples. Though this temple is now exalted, everyone who passes by will be appalled and will scoff. They will say, why did the Lord do this to this land and this temple? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt. They held on to other gods and bowed in worship to them and served them. Because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin on them. So God, God himself comes to Solomon and speaks to him 
a second time in his life. How blessed, how amazing. And God warns him. God says, if you will walk faithfully, your throne will last forever and the house of David will rule forever. If you continue to be faithful, then you and your lineage will last for all ages. But if you turn away, if you worship other gods, if you fail to remain faithful, you will be cut off, you will be rejected, you will be scorned, you will be scoffed at, and you will be ruined. There's no middle ground here like try hard and it'll be okay. It is be faithful and you will be blessed or turn away and you will be cursed. Turn away and you will suffer all of the consequences of rebellion. And people will look at you and wonder, what happened here? Well, they turned away from God. Oh, well, that makes sense. Here's what God warns Solomon of. Now, you would think a man who people came to sit at his feet and hear wisdom, he would hear what God has to say and he would apply it in his life. That would make sense, wouldn't it? He would understand clearly exactly what it is that God would desire of him. That that the temple was great, but it wasn't enough. That the palace was fine, but it wasn't enough. That Solomon's wisdom was, was a gift and it was amazing, but that wasn't enough. What God desired was faithfulness and obedience. And God promised that if there was unfaithfulness, there would be consequences. And so by the time we get to chapter 11 of 1 Kings, we see how this unfolds. We see what comes to pass. So chapter 11, here's what 1 Kings chapter 11 verse 1 says. It says, King Solomon loved many foreign women in addition to Pharaoh's daughter. Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. Now, um, this is an interesting thing as we see because... Solomon loves so many women, they don't list the names of the ladies, they list the nationalities. I I mean, yowzers, right? I mean, we we see as it continues, uh, verse 2, from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, and they must not intermarry with you, because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women, Solomon was deeply attached in love. And so you go, wow, so we've, we've got some nationalities. He really loves them. They're, they worship false gods, and he loves these women deeply. Verse 3, he had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines, and they turned his heart away. Here, here's what, what God has already said. Solomon, watch yourself. Be faithful, and you'll be blessed Reject my standards, reject my ways, and you'll be cursed. And so what does Solomon do? He goes and he marries himself a thousand different women. Well, 700 married, 300 concubines. If you don't know what a concubine is, Google it, but don't look at the images. And so you you end up with this man who, instead of following faithfully after God, he begins to follow after his own heart, his own desires, his own ways, and his own wives. They begin to lead him astray. Verse 4 says this, when Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Now it's interesting when it, it notes that David had been wholeheartedly devoted to God. It doesn't say that David lived a perfect life, 
but that he was completely devoted to God, even in his imperfections. But Solomon, Solomon wasn't even devoted to God any longer. Not only did he fall short, not only was he distracted by the things of the world, but he also, he completely rejected God. His heart followed after other gods. Now, it would be really easy to join with Adam, you know, and say, well, God, it's the thousand women you gave me. Um, But this was all on Solomon. And remember, what, what has God already blessed Solomon with? First and foremost, wisdom unlike any other that had ever been or would be, save for Jesus Christ himself. Wisdom unlike any other man. Riches beyond measure. Authority and influence. Peace. A time of peace and provision. God had already blessed him to the hilt. And yet he starts to follow after other gods. Begins to allow his heart to be led astray. And so there's a whole list. If you want to read, you can read all the gods that Solomon followed. Verse 5 Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. At that time, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abhorrent idol of Moab, and for Milcom, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites, on the hill across from Jerusalem. He did the same for all his foreign wives, who were burning incense and offering sacrifices to their gods. He didn't just build one foreign temple to a different god. He built a a temple for every wife, for every god there was, in order to serve them. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Solomon, Since you have done this, And did not keep my covenant and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. The wisest man ever, apart from Christ Jesus himself, should have been able to discern what was right. He was even warned directly by God, keep your focus on being faithful. And he ends up unfaithful. And ends up having the kingdom ripped from his lineage. And we see that God goes on to promise, listen, I'm not going to do it to you, but I'm going to do it to your son. You won't suffer out of honor for your father's faithfulness. But your son will suffer the tearing apart of the kingdom. And the removal of the throne from him. So we see in these these three kings, we see that that they, they... alone meet some really amazing standards for a king, don't they? Some really amazing standards for leadership. Uh, we, we, we can look and, and say that Saul, he was strong, he was tall, he was handsome, he was unique and, and stood out. David, he was passionate and passionate for the things of God most often, but also passionate for his own desires. And chasing after his own ways. And then we see Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, makes a dumb bunch of decisions. And why is that? It's because men will always fall short. Men will always fail. 
Saul's strength led him to conceit. And he used his own strength to defy God. David's passion for God also opened the door for him to pursue his own passions. And he fell to temptation. And Solomon, the wisest man ever, he abandons the wisdom that had come from God as a gift and he lives foolishly. He chases after other gods. He allows the the people in his life to influence his heart and to lead him astray. And so what we see are these three men who on their own should have been able to keep the people of God, should have been able to lead the people of God, should have been able to stand up and protect the people of God and provide for them. And yet each of these men with these great strengths, each of them still fell short and failed in the task that God had given to them. And I'll tell you why. It's because men will always fail us. And ladies, you can go amen if you want, but that's not what I mean. I don't just mean the men. I mean mankind. I mean the flesh. I mean the very strengths that we think are critical to us as people, the very things that we laud and lift up in society, they will always fail us because it's just flesh. It's just our own wisdom. It's just our own ways. It's just our own passions. And though they can have some good results, ultimately every person will always fail to love God perfectly, to lead in God's strength perfectly, to walk in God's wisdom perfectly, which is why when the people of God replaced God with a human king, it broke Samuel's heart because he knew those kings would fail God's people. He knew that they would fall short. He knew that they would would be terrible in many ways. And, and so what we see is the strong king, Saul, he failed. The passionate king, David, he failed. The wise king, Solomon, he failed. Why is that? Because none of these men had what it took to save God's people. None of these men had what it took to be strong enough, to be wise enough, to be passionate enough to save God's people, to lead them to genuine freedom, to establish this kingdom that God desires to establish forever. None of these men were the right king. And what's cool is that the truth is we need a better king. And God himself, he took the crown back. He took the crown back and said, I will be king once again, and I will come and I will put on flesh. And I will be the man that you need me to be, but I will also be the perfect king that you must have. And God himself became the the God of strength, the God of passion, the, the, the God of wisdom became the man of strength, the man of passion, the man of wisdom who lived perfectly and died on our behalf and rose again on the third day so that we could have a perfect king who would always succeed on our behalf. A perfect king who would never fail us. And when we look through the Old Testament, it reveals to us that no man can save us. If we we start thinking, maybe you're a Lord of the Rings person, you know, and no man can kill the king of the Nazgul. And I am no man. We're not talking about that. We're talking about we need someone 
who is fully human and fully God, to come and be our king. That's exactly what God did. It's exactly what he provided to us in Jesus. It's what he's been talking about this whole Old Testament. Exodus 15, 2, that there is this beautiful song as the children of Israel walk out of the, 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 uh, the Red Sea, they walk away from it and, and the defeat of Pharaoh's army. And, and Moses leads them in this song, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. God alone can be the strength that we need. Christ alone is the strong king that can save us. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. here's what Jesus says about being a man after God's own heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And all of us would say we fall short of that. We can't do it, but our King Jesus, he did it, and he does it, and he gives us the strength to do it. We look and, and we, we see in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, and we're, we're talking about a wise king and wisdom. Uh, Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. These kings that fell short for the people of Israel were foreshadowing a perfect king in Jesus who would be the wisdom that we need, who would be the strength that we need, who would be the love that we need. He is everything that these kings in the Old Testament, failed to be. That's why we come to Jesus, is to to worship Him as King. It is from Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. You see, we look back at the Old Testament and we go, why wasn't a strong king good enough? Because there's no man strong enough. Why wasn't a a passionate king good enough? Because there is no leader passionate enough about the right things. Why wasn't the, the wise king good enough? Because there's no man who is wise enough to be the king that we need. But in Christ, we have the wisdom, we have the righteousness, the sanctification, the redemption that we have always longed for. And so it's so important for you and I to understand the Old Testament in all of its failings and shortcomings and all these great stories. It doesn't serve to look and go, oh, be like Solomon. Really? Be like Solomon? How many wives are you going to get? Right? You need 700 wives, 300 concubines if you're going to be like Solomon. No, it's not be like Solomon. It's that even Solomon wasn't good enough and needed Jesus. Even David, a man after God's own heart, fell too far short and needed a savior in Christ Jesus. Even Saul, in all of his strength, needed to be saved. And all of them point to us, point out to us our need for a savior in Christ Jesus. And you wonder, well, is Jesus king? Yes, Jesus is king. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. After Jesus lived and gave himself as a servant, died on the cross for our sins and rose again, for this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, So that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, is King, is ruler to the glory of God the Father. The day will come 
when we won't be looking at a human king and saying, save us, but we will be looking to the one true king, the one who was promised all the way through the Old Testament. And we will say to him, you are king of kings. You are Lord of lords. You have come to save. The question will be, will we do it in a manner in which we will be saved or will we be doing it out of compulsion? Because there will be people who will declare that Jesus is king and yet do so out of anger and out of hatred and on their way to eternal damnation. That's the thing we have to understand is that today you can declare Jesus Christ as your king, your ruler, your righteousness, your wisdom, your strength, your love. You can declare him to be king over your life because he is. And you can receive him today as Lord and Savior. And when the day of him being declared king above all comes, you will be rejoicing. If you continue to shake your fist at God, declare that you're king of your own life, to be looking for things in human answers, in the things of this world, when this day comes, you will still declare Jesus to be king over all, and then you will be dismissed into eternal damnation. Today's the day to make a choice. Today's the day to declare Jesus is your king. No man will save you. But the God-man can if you will declare him to be king over your life. Here's the truth, right? The thing we apply today. We have a better king who is perfect strength, perfect passion, perfect wisdom. He completes all the things that Saul and David and Solomon foreshadowed. He is the perfect king. Will you submit to him today? And you might ask, well, what does that mean? It means understanding some things about yourself and about the king, Jesus that you are a sinner, that you have earned for yourself the very curses and separation from God that God promised Solomon if he were to be disobedient, that God promised Adam and Eve. These are things called death and hell. You deserve that. But God loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, perfect God, perfect man, the perfect king who came and lived a life that was sinless, died on the cross to absorb on your behalf the wrath and judgment of the Father and clothe you in his own righteousness and strength and passion and wisdom. He died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day to prove it's all true. And how do we submit to him as king? By acknowledging that we need him to rule our life. We need him to save us. We need him to point to us or point us in the right direction and give us wisdom. We need him to give us strength every day. And he and he alone is king over all. And to make that confession today, and for those of you who are believers, live like Jesus is your king. Stop looking to the things of this world. Stop looking to human wisdom to lift you up and to make a difference in your life. Live the truth of the one true king who is perfect in strength and passion and wisdom. As the worship team comes up to close this morning, I just want to encourage you. If you've got questions, ask. If you want to know more, ask. If you want to, to find out answers about what it means to, to make Jesus your king and, and to follow after him, I encourage you to ask someone, one of the elders, one of the teachers, the person who brought you, and, and others of you, if you're struggling with submitting to the king in some aspect of your life, find someone to walk beside you and help hold you accountable in submission. 
Some of us were looking at things, doing things, drinking things, eating things we shouldn't. And we need help. We need help to submit to the king. And first we pray about it, and then we get somebody to come alongside of us and help us submit more readily. So let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer, and then we'll have one last song together as we remember this king who reveals to us his glory and sets for us the stage of redemption. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your love for us, and we just thank you so much that you loved us enough to give us these stories, these truths in the Old Testament to reveal to us that human means are not enough, that even really, really good men can't save us. Even really, really good men are not the leaders we need, but that you and you alone, through your son Jesus Christ, are to be our king. Lord Jesus, we thank you, our king, for living, dying, rising again, all so that we could be made new. All so that we could have peace and strength and rightly oriented passions and wisdom from above. Thank you for being our king. We pray this morning, if anyone needs to come and acknowledge you as king for the first time, to submit themselves to you as ruler of their life for the first time, that today would be the day that that would occur. Give them strength and boldness to trust in you. You are the only one worth following. You are the only one worth submitting to. No one else compares. We worship you this morning, King Jesus. It's in your name that we pray.